DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We'll be joined by our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, coming up at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time right now to talk with UVU basketball coach Mark Madsen. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing well. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing, I'm doing really well also. When you're a college basketball coach, is there anything new and exciting right now, or are you caught in the same kind of time warp the rest of us are, and you don't necessarily know exactly what day of the week it is because they're all kind of the same? (laughs) I think the biggest thing for us has been, uh, I mean, we've really been focusing on recruiting. Um, Originally, right after the season ended, I was planning on, you know, flying to different places in the country to to see recruits, and we were going to, bringing a lot of players we were talking to on official visits. But when this whole thing happened, they, the NCAA basically put off-campus recruiting on hold, on-campus recruiting on hold, and so we've been doing most of ours on Zoom. Uh, it's interesting that you have to do this. I guess you have to adapt. Everybody has to do it. But I'm wondering for you, you know, you're a personable guy, and you can talk to a lot of different people from different cultures and whatnot, and you get to know them. And people, I think, are drawn to you. You think you've been able to be as effective, or how much has it impacted your recruiting not being able to have you being in the homes of parents and players? Obviously, in in person is always going to be better because you can just build more of a relationship there, uh, read body language, things like that. But um, I think the good thing in the case of of how it's worked out for UVU this year is we've been spending a lot of time building relationships, um, you know, over the past six to nine months w- with players, and and so we've had a, you know some in person contact already. And so now coming in where you already have that relationship built, it's a lot easier if you have to do it, you know, online and phone calls and and video conference. So as you uh, go through this, is it going to, uh, because it looks like there aren't going to be, you know, the whole AAU circuit hit up this summer. How much is it going to throw recruiting into a... uh, a new, crazy, unpredictable place? How much is it going to lead to more transfers? And in a weird way, is it helping you get ahead on the next class because you're at home and you got more time to spend on that? One thing, I mean, <laughs> one thing we do have plenty of right now is time. And so we're able to watch a lot of video on guys, um, whether it's high school players, college players, transfers. Um, so we do have that. I, I mean, I feel... I feel bad for the high school juniors right now and even some high school seniors that that are unsigned because they were banking on going out there and being able to showcase their skills in front of all types of different college coaches. But, but now they can't do it. They can't do it. And, and and so there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough, especially coming out of high school where coming out of high school, it's just a little bit more unknown what, what players can do, but there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough, you, you know, for a lot of schools out there, um, if they if they can sign the right players, 
I'm wondering, Mark, during your first season as the head coach, how you handled your emotions as far as big wins, devastating losses, like watching you walk off the floor as I watched that lucky shot go in at New Mexico State when that obviously was going to be your marquee win of the season. But yet, the, <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was a bank shot from – 25 feet or whatever it was and you know i can remember you when you won went to the final four in stanford and you were there's a video of you just going nuts out on the floor and we know what you did with the lakers Uh, what type of emotions and how different are they the highs and lows as a player versus a coach well they're different because when you're a player i mean you're always invested in one thing winning but after a great win, you kind of you feel it as a player and you look at how you played personally. Um, after a really tough loss, again, as a player, you feel the pain of the loss and you, you kind of just focus on what you yourself did wrong. That, that's what I did. If we had a tough loss and I was a player, hey, what did I do wrong? What can I do better? So when you're a coach and, and if you lose a close one like we did at New Mexico State, you, you know, you, you basically – look at every single player, number one, you look at yourself, you, you know, pro- you look at yourself probably before you look at every player and, and you say to yourself, how can I help this team get over the hump to get this win at New Mexico state? For example, we're, you know, we're up one with five, six seconds left. They come down and bank a three in. Um, they hadn't lost on their home court in a really long time. We were about to beat them. But as you go back and you watch the tape, you know, there's maybe 10 or 15 things throughout the first half and, and going into the second half where, hey, if we can correct these things, and instead of being up one, we're up seven. And then, you know, that's fine. Come on down and bank a three in. We still win. And so as a coach, you, you feel, I feel much more responsible. I, I mean, because I am. And I look at all the little things that that I need to, um, drill and teach as a coach to, to help the players get better individually and to also to help the team get better. So as you do that, how much do uh, previous coaches, whether it's Mike Montgomery at Stanford or uh, Phil with the Lakers or somebody else who isn't as famous but still had an impact on you, how much do you hear their voices come flooding back? All the time. All the time. I mean, I'm lucky because I played for Mike Montgomery, one of the greatest uh, coaches, especially in college of all time. And, and Phil Jackson, who, I mean, his, I mean, Phil's unbelievable. And, and, you know, I remember one time we, we were up on our road trip in Washington state in the PAC 12 when I was playing at Stanford and, and we had a tough loss. And so I happened to be on the plane close to Mike Montgomery. And he said, Hey, you, you know, what did you think? And, you know, I was a freshman and I said, well, I, I have to do this better. I have to do that better. But really he was asking me, what can we do better as a team? And I, I could tell he was upset we had lost. And I remember on the plane at one point he opened up a, he opened up like a, a Wild West book, like a Western type frontier thriller, probably just to think about something else for a little while before he dove into the tape. And, you know, I, I always, I'll always remember that, especially now that I'm coaching, because if you get too consumed, you know, after a win or a loss, mostly I'm up late watching tape, but you can't get too consumed to where, to where you can't still 
be a great mentor, push the guys in the right way, and still have great relationship with the players. Is it hard to find that balance as a head coach? It's hard. It, it, it's, it is really hard. I mean, I think I, I was alongside Luke Walton for a few years in L.A., two or three years, and I think one thing that Luke Walton did extremely well is he, he didn't get too high with wins and he, he didn't get too low with losses. Um, it's a lot easier to teach, uh, you know, in terms of constructive criticism to, to the players after a win. Because, look, after a win, everything's fine. After a loss, everybody takes it tough. The head coach, the assistant coaches, the players. And, and believe me, the, the players look at everything they did wrong. And so the last thing you want to do after a tough loss is just show every single negative clip, every single teaching clip. That's the last thing you want to do. But you, you still have to teach. You still have to show it. So timing, you know, one-on-one versus showing it to the group that there's so many, there's so much psychology that, that goes into coaching. So you're the head coach and you're the guy who's supposed to have all the answers. So when you need help, where do you turn to? Cause you got to be careful. You can't upset the whole team dynamic, show too much weakness and all of that, but you can't be the guy who has all the answers all the time because nobody has all the answers all the time. What do you do? Well, first of all, I, I'm grateful because we have an unbelievable staff. Um, I'll start with Todd Phillips. I mean, he won two national championships at Solid Community. Before he got there, no, nobody had heard about Solid Community College. Um, I'm, I'm speaking nationally. And then he helps build it into a powerhouse. So he's, he has tremendous knowledge. Uh, Todd Okeson, really one of the top up-and-coming coaches in, in the game um, in terms of I mean, he played point guard um, at Nevada, led his team to the Sweet 16, Great basketball mind, strong recruiter. And then you got Jared Jackson, who was a key piece of, of everything Texas Tech has been doing. So, n- number one, you have a great staff. But, but number two, I, I mean, I, I use my contacts. I use my Rolodex. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Mike Montgomery. I've spoken to Phil Jackson. Um, you know, sometimes you ask for advice because they've been there for good times and, and they've had bad times also as a coach. Um, as coaches, I remember one time at the Lakers, we had lost seven or eight out of 10 under Phil Jackson. And, you know, he dealt with it and he helped us rebound into, into a great season. And so, you know, I would say I turned to my staff and, and I turned to, you know, trusted mentors. You've been in the locker room for a long time, Mark, and can speak to this with a lot of authority, uh, particularly with that Lakers situation. There's been some stuff about Gobert and Mitchell not getting along and all that stuff. What is you, as you look, and I know you're not particularly close to the situation, but I'm not asking you to speak specifically. I'm asking you to speak generally as far as what the message is if teammates should be having any conflict. Well, it's, it's a great question because <laughs> my, my first two years at the Lakers, we were winning championships. Everybody was happy in June, but there was so much conflict throughout the season. There just was. There was drama. There was – you would wake up in the morning and read something in the L.A. Times. Phil was, you know, calling out a player publicly. The player would go back at Phil. I mean, it was ne- it's never perfect in a locker room. It's just never perfect. Um, I think what you hope is you hope that that there's never a risk that can't be healed. 
And even if it's, if it doesn't heal a hundred percent, hopefully whatever rift there is, um, on any team, it can get back to a point where there's a professional relationship. I think one thing that's talked about a lot in the NBA is professionalism. You know, things are going to happen. Sometimes those things are personal. Sometimes, most of the time it's not, but, but sometimes it's personal. And, and that's where, I mean, it's amazing how many NBA players I've seen just get in the same room and hash something out and, and crush it. Now, that does not always happen either. But it's just amazing when, when two guys really want to communicate and solve a problem, it gets done. So some of us invested a couple hours watching The Last Dance. Does that kind of stuff uh, intrigue you going back in time? Or you got enough on your plate now, you, you leave all the retro stuff to other people? <laughs> well, I haven't watched it yet. Um, I, I want to watch it. We have a we have a seven week old and we have a two year old. So when I'm not recruiting, <laughs> I'm I'm chasing my little guys. I'm chasing the I'm chasing the you know two year old and I'm I'm holding the seven month old. Um, but I am looking forward to you know sometimes you especially now I, they're going to be pockets in times nine p.m. at night ten p.m. where there's going to be quiet moments when maybe I can take a look at that and just enjoy it. Understand there's an announcement that you want to make regarding something. So why don't you do it right now for us, Mark? Well, I mean, I think number one, it's really exciting. We've had we've had a great, we've had a fantastic week of signings. We've signed a number of great players, and there was a new signing that UVU announced this morning. Um, Evan Cole out of Georgia Tech is coming to UVU. Um, he's, he'll be a graduate transfer. He's an unbelievable player. He's a he's a high level talent. Um, obviously, we we signed a lot of guys last week, and and uh, you know I've talked about those guys publicly. And this commitment from Evan uh, came down the home stretch late Friday night. And so you know Evan is a six ten, two hundred twenty five pound bruiser, but also he uh, he has tremendous agility and tremendous skill. He shoots threes. He he drives to the basket. I was watching tape of one game where he, he spread out on the wing. I mean, he looked he looked like a he looked like an NBA wing player Euro stepping smaller guards. And so, th- this is a big time player uh, who's coming to UVU, Evan Cole. And I'm just incredibly excited. I think I think all all of our players are excited, and I think the university is excited. Um, the great thing about Evan also is, as great of a player as he is, coming from Georgia Tech. There's a humility there, and there's just a quiet confidence and a leadership factor that that make him really special and unique. So I'm curious uh, because guys do go and move nationally, uh, but a, a lot of it still seems local and regional. How do you get somebody from the other side of the country? What is the tie? How does that work? How do how do how do you get to this point? Well. I think, you know, you look at all the success that UVU has had from and it, it really starting with Dick Hunsaker, um, all the winning he had. Coach Mark Pope kind of took it to, to an even higher level in terms of number of wins and, and success. Um, you, you know, you look at some of the marquee players. I mean, 
one of Dick Hunsaker's key recruits came from Chicago, Ronnie Price, who, who went on. Obviously, you guys—I mean, you guys know Ronnie well. Um, you, you know, you look at Coach Pope, some of the great players that that he was able to recruit. There, there's a national footprint at, at UVU, and that's something that that we are trying to continue. Um, because, and I said it in the press conference when I first took over the job, we want to put up walls around the state of Utah. We want to fence this state in and get the very best players that we can get uh, in this state. But we also want to be a very big player nationally and even internationally. We've looked at international recruits, um, Australia, Switzerland. Um, and, and so we've looked at those routes. But, but no, I think there has to be a, a good balance of uh, across the board in recruiting. So you look at Evan Cole, he had uh, narrowed his list down to, I think, about uh, 11 schools. Obviously, you were on that list. So was BYU, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Boston College. Uh, so a lot of big-name programs that you were able to uh, secure his services in competition with. And correct me if I'm wrong, he comes in as a grad transfer, so he'll be immediately eligible this season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's immediately eligible, and he'll be ready to play out of the gate. So where do you but, sit? I mean, look. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, no, sorry. The, uh, I mean, the recruiting landscape is always competitive. I mean, and, and I would say for Evan, um, obviously Evan, Evan had plenty. Evan had many, many options because he's a highly sought-after player. I think, um, you know, I think we clicked with, with Evan, and I think he, he liked the style of play. Um, we recruited him hard. Um, but th- there's no question that, that Evan is a game changer, that, that he's a guy that can, that can come in and do huge things for the team. So where do you sit as far as scholarships now? Are you all good to go? Do you still have some uh, room? Could there be more we, guys here? Yeah, we, we, yep, we still have some room, and, and we're, still looking at, uh, um, we're still looking at some players. I, I, think, we've, I think Evan is either – He's either the fifth or sixth guy we signed. I'll have to go back and, and, and look. But um, but we're in process with a few others. And again, um, you know, m- most of the local guys we, we've we signed the the, the Utah based guys already. But we're looking at a few other guys nationally and building relationships. Um, you know, the transfer portal is a big part of college basketball. It's funny. I joke with I joke with the staff all the time. I said. Coaching in college now is, is almost like building an NBA team or a G League team because it's free agency every single year. The only difference between college and the pros is in the pros, you can put a guy under contract for three years, four years in college. You can't. <laughs> you can't. Um, which to me makes it all the, all the better because it's better for players. Players should be able to have free movement. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Mark. You so you favor in terms of free movement. What would that be? They're immediately eligible, or have it be a one-time deal? What's your thought on that? Well, I mean, obviously, I think I'm kind of a guy that always sides with players because I did play, and so. Um, but look, complete free free movement is a nightmare for coaches because then I mean you got to rebuild your roster every single year. But but I do think that as you allow more free movement, it kind of holds college coaches accountable um, in the sense that I, I used to tell people, I said, look, 
in the end, when you're a coach in the NBA, you, you got to call guys out. I mean, you got to be a disciplinarian, but you have to be a diplomat also, because you got players making thirty million dollars a year, twenty million dollars a year. Coaches are making a fraction of that, so you have to have strong relationships with the players uh, to be able to coach. Um, and the way the college game used to be, I mean, it used to be a college coach could be a, a dictator of, you know, not, not that all of us are, but it used to be college coaches could be the worst dictators ever. Belittling guys, um, all, all kinds of things. And, and most college coaches are not like that, especially now. But before, when players, it was really hard to transfer before. And so when you're a college player, you kind of had to stick out anything. Um, but now, coaches know, hey, if I don't treat my players right, they could just up and leave. And so I, I ultimately think it, it's good. I'm probably okay with, with a one-time free transfer. Um, you know, even though that, that makes my job a little bit harder, I'm probably okay with it. Well, Mark, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Congratulations on the get, and we look forward to seeing uh, who else you might land. I appreciate the time, guys. Have a great day.